So today, uh, you know, I thought, you know, and it's been actually, well, it's a little feedback about my relationship with Pastor Edwin. We've actually been friends now for, what, 12, 13 years maybe? Uh, we met in a Bible study and just became fast friends and have spent many uh, conversations and hours and trips and um, hangouts together and meals. And uh, it's just been such a gift to know him, your family, as well as many of the leaders here. And so uh, I do recognize some many f- familiar faces. It's been a few months or f- a few years, in, in fact, since I've been here last uh, on a Sunday morning. But uh, I am so grateful and indebted to be here. So um, I... Today, the topic that I wanted to talk about is the topic of the story of God from the beginning of the scriptures in the book of Genesis all the way till the end. And what is the story of God about? And we're actually going to see this theme that comes up. And I've titled today's message, The Pursuit. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, The Pursuit? That's right, because the story of God has always been a story of pursuit, the pursuit of God towards us. Now, um, to, to give you a little background on myself, um, I grew up with uh, three brothers. And so in three and a half years, my mom had uh, four boys. And so the reason, the last of, you know, I'm, I'm actually the, the, the youngest, but I have a twin brother named Peter. And so in three and a half years, my, my mom had, we had four boys running around. Now, here's the thing. I think growing up with such brothers that were all so jumbled up in age, uh, there was something about each son that had something unique about them. It felt like, except me. And so being the youngest of the four, it's interesting if you see pictures of me in, when I was growing up with all my brothers growing up, there's always pictures of me kind of in the background. I was in the background because I felt like the youngest. I felt like someone who just didn't stand out very much. And so as a result, I grew up with this sense of someone who was just kind of overlooked and maybe even dismissed some. Uh, and I think growing up in a large family, again, where each of my brothers were unique in their own way. So, and in fact, in pictures of me and my twin brother, there's always pictures of my twin brother doing something funny, right? Like looking really funny and cool. And meanwhile, I'm in the back cowering behind, just laughing behind him. Uh, in many ways, that's kind of the story of what I grew up with. I grew up with this sense like I'm always in the background, someone who's not worthy of being kind of in the foreground or being pursued. Uh, now, not only that, but I grew up as a Korean American in a neighborhood in Los Angeles, California. Um, and as a Korean American, I endured, uh, there was just a lot of racism that happened in that neighborhood that we grew up in. So a lot of name calling, a lot of um, our house would get egged, our house would get TP'd, and uh, people would steal our bikes and all sorts of stuff. And so as a result, growing up as an Asian American then, not only did I feel kind of like this young outsider within my own family, but I also felt like kind of this outsider within the neighborhood and the school that I grew up in. So you can imagine the stories that I told myself about who I am is that I, I, the stories I told myself is that I am unimportant, that I'm not good enough, and that I'm unlovable, and that I'm not worthy of being pursued. And so as we look at the scriptures today, I, I just want you to give this context of my own story and the story of like what I see from the scriptures about the story of God. Because if you're anything like me, perhaps have you ever been in a situation where you have felt unloved, unpursued, or someone felt like maybe that you were forgotten by God or forgotten by someone that was important to you? And yet the story of God is a story of God pursuing us, like relentlessly, continually pursuing us. In the book of Genesis, the author writes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he creates day by day, God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And what's interesting is that God, at the end of all creation, you know what he says about creation? He says creation is tov meod, which basically in the Hebrew, can I hear you say tov meod? Would you call my mom? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no, no. Tov meod, that's a Hebrew phrase, and it basically means it was very good. 
Very good. So if you get this, God creates the world and everything in it, including men and women. And he says, tov meod, it's very good. But here's what, what ends up happening. Adam and Eve, they don't follow what, what God has said to them about what they're to do. And we call this the fall. Sin enters into the world. They rebel. They say, God, I know better about how to run my own life than you do. And therefore, I'm going to disobey you and I'm going to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so what happens? The fall enters, and what hap- happens is sin enters the world, and the brokenness of the world, the world that God had created to be good and beautiful, sin enters the world and begins to, to unfurl kind of this world of brokenness, of woundedness, of pain. Today, the effects of the world we all experience today, if you're a Knicks fan, you know what I'm talking I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the pain of life, the woundedness that we all carry as New Yorkers. <laughs> Uh, yes, I love the Knicks, though. Um, we carry this brokenness and we carry the woundedness of the world around us. So God creates the world to be beautiful, but because of sin and darkness, we end up living with all sorts of pain and anguish in relationships and in the world around us. Now, here's what's so fascinating. Because Adam and Eve, the, the scriptures tell us, Adam and Eve, they, after they've rebelled, they become ashamed of their nakedness. So now all of a sudden, shame enters the world, and they begin to blame one another, right? Like Eve blames the serpent, Adam blames Eve about sin, so we become blamers, we become people who carry shame. And you know what's interesting? We have this passage in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, and if we can put that passage up. Genesis 3, verse 9, God makes this statement, and this is what he says, Lord God called to the man, this is Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? Now here's the thing about God. I don't know if you know this, but this is what we believe about God. We believe that God is omniscient. In other words, he knows all things, because that's who God is. God is a God who knows all things. Now, here's a question I have for you. If God knows all things, why is he asking this question, where are you? (laughs) You know, and it's funny because Adam and Eve are trying to hide from God, as if the all-knowing God, somehow they can hide from him. And yet, why... Is God answer, asking this question? He's asking this question because he's coming after them. Even after they failed, even after they've disobeyed, even after they've carried this shame and blame game, the God of heaven and earth is pursuing them. And that's why he asks this question where are you? And of course, this is the question that God is continually asking, searching for you, for me. He's constantly in pursuit. And one of the most beautiful things is you see this story actually translate into the person of Jesus, because Jesus comes on the scene. The ultimate example of God's pursuit of us is that Jesus, the Son of God, takes on flesh. He comes in the flesh to pursue us. To show us that no matter how much we might run, no matter how much shame we might carry, no matter how much we might be blaming others, no matter how forgotten you might feel, no matter how kind of these moments when you feel like you're in the shadows or that you're, you're unknown by God, the message of God in the scriptures is that God is a God who's always been pursuing and you know what's so beautiful? is like when you look at the story of Jesus, there are these little clues in the scriptures about how Jesus is constantly looking, observing, and pursuing. 
There's actually this story in Luke chapter 7. It's a story of a widow. The widow has lost her son. And a widow, of course, was seen as someone who was maybe forgotten by God, and that's why they were a widow. And at this point, this widow has lost her Her son is dead, and she's weeping. And we have this little clue of Jesus who sees this widow. And check out what it says uh, in Luke chapter 7. It says, when the Lord, this is Jesus, when he saw her, his heart went out to her. I love that little clue. I love this clue about it. It always talks about how Jesus is seeing and looking and being present with people. Have you ever been around someone who is com- completely distracted, <laughs> like, and it, it feels so dis- diminishing at times, right? Like someone's around you and you're trying to talk to them and they're constantly looking behind you, looking around. They're not really being present. Uh, that's usually pastors on Sunday morning, by the way. But uh, forgive us. <laughs> forgive us for that. But the ability to actually be present. Have you ever been with someone who was so present with you that listened to you, learned your story, learned your name, remembered these things about you? There's something about being seen and present with and being pursued personally, isn't it? There's something so special about that. And here's what Jesus does. He's, he sees her, and then it's, his heart goes out to her. But you see, this isn't the only story where this happens. This happens constantly. Jesus is constantly looking, finding, pursuing and being present with. There's this other story in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, where there's someone who's called a rich young ruler. This rich young ruler is someone who basically is is coming and looking and asking Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically sees this earnest young New Yorker and is basically like, hey, this is what you need to do. And the young guy, he actually says, he he, he says, "I've, I've kept all these since I was a young boy. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, you need to sell everything and follow me. <laughs> you know, at this, the, the, the man's countenance falls. And look what it says in Mark chapter, chapter 10. It says Jesus, when he's having this conversation with this young, earnest, rich, young ruler, it says he looked at him and he loved him. Just love that description. Jesus sees all the anxieties of this rich young ruler, and he actually looks at him, and it says he looks at him and he loves him. I mean, don't you love that about Jesus? Pursuing, looking, finding. It has always been the story of God. There's this other story in Mark chapter 5. There's a story of a guy named Jairus whose daughter is sick and has, is near death. And Jairus comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and basically says, Jesus, come and heal my daughter. And so Jesus immediately is like, yes, I'll go. So he starts to go, but in the midst of going to find Jairus, to find Jairus' daughter. Now, you've got to understand, Jesus is this miracle worker who many people saw as this extraordinary person who opens the eyes, eyes of the blind, who raises the sick and the dead even, and teaches with great authority. And this Jesus, you can imagine, when Jesus says yes to Jairus, all of a sudden, people are around him, and they're, they're like, I want to be part of this. I want to see what happens here. And so what happens, crowds begin to, to bombard him as he's on his way looking to heal Jairus' daughter. As the crowds are around him, the story tells us there's this woman who for 12 years, she's been experiencing bleeding in a very private area. 
Now, back in the ancient custom, to experience this kind of bleeding, and she, it says that she's gone to doctors, she's trying to explain what this is all about. No one has an explanation for, for her about what she's been suffering from. But not only is she suffering physically, she's been suffering mentally and emotionally. You know why? It's because back then, if you were bleeding in this area as a woman, you were considered unclean. Now, here's what it meant to be unclean. It meant that you couldn't be around the community. It meant that when, whenever you were around people, you would have to shout out, unclean, unclean. And it was a cue from everyone around you, get away from me. I am unclean. Now, this woman, though, what happens, right? Because there's this crowd of people following and trying to, like, get with Jesus, right? Uh, yesterday, I was watching a video of LeBron James at the Drew League in Los Angeles. And LeBron James is this big megastar. And there's crowds of people following around him, you know? I can imagine Jesus has just crowds of people. Or if you've ever been on the F train at Rush Hour, right? Like, there's crowds of people all around. And... and you can imagine Jesus is on his way, and this woman starts to think, though, I've heard the reputation of Jesus, that Jesus is this healer. Jesus can heal people. And so what does is, what is this woman do? She thinks, if I can just get close to Jesus, maybe I have a shot. Maybe I can finally be healed. So here's what happens. The, the woman, she ends up, whatever, she, whatever was the marker that signaled that she was unclean. We don't know what it was, but either way, she keeps quiet. She doesn't tell anyone she's unclean. Instead, she goes into the crowd, and I can, be, I can just see her now, right? She's, she's brushing up against people, probably feeling really guilty for causing other people to feel unclean. And the reason why is because, again, unclean people would make other people unclean. And so I can imagine she feels guilty, but no one knows. She gets to the, to the edge of his robe, and what the text tells us is she touches the edge of his cloak. She feels the sensation of healing power around her. She touches it, and then she basically walks away. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine the exhilaration and the power she feels? She's like, oh my goodness, it worked! It actually worked. She could feel her body healed freely. She begins to walk away, but it's not the end of the story. Look at what happens. And a part of me is just kind of so annoyed by this, because look, look what happens. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. So can you imagine, Jesus is basically, he's on his way to heal someone else. He feels the power go out of him, and then he's basically like, wait, wait, somebody, somebody? touched me, and I felt the power go out. And what's crazy is the disciples are like, Jesus, there's, there's crowds of people. Like, it's the F train at rush hour right now. You're being touched by at least 30 people right now. Like, we're all scrunched together. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. Now, here's a question for you. Why is this woman trembling with fear? Like, if I were healed by Jesus, I'd be like, Jesus, that was me, actually. It was me. Guys, it works. I'm telling you. You touch him, you get close enough. It works, everyone. This is amazing. You'd be so overjoyed, but why is this woman trembling with fear? She's trembling with fear because... She says, it was me. And then she has to tell him and everyone else 
Here's what happened. I've been sick for 12 years. I've been labeled unclean, unworthy. And anyone that comes around me is also considered unclean and unworthy. And honestly, I thought if I could just get close enough to Jesus, I could be healed. And so I, I made my way through the crowds to try to get to Jesus. And I can imagine people are listening to this story and they're just like, what? You, you, you're unclean and you bumped into us? How dare you do this? I could imagine there's anxiety that rises within the crowd. They're like, this, what? What did you do? You didn't tell us you were unclean? For your selfish gain, you were trying to get to Jesus? The reason she's trembling with fear is because there's so much shame that she's carrying. You know, what's so interesting is Jesus, noticing everything that's happening, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love this. Jesus goes looking for her. And the question is, why does he call her out like that, right? Couldn't he just let her off the hook and let her be, let her be healed and enjoy the rest of her life? It's because Jesus wants to give her the experience of before everyone who may condemn her, everyone who may look down on her, wants to give her the experience of saying before everyone, you are my daughter. Your faith has healed you. Though the world may call you unclean, I want to find you and I want to pursue you and I want you to know you're my daughter. Isn't this amazing? You see, Jesus has always been in the business of pursuing, of finding, of looking, of seeing, of noticing. You know, there's this image that we often use uh, at our church, and I know we use it here at times, uh, when it comes to emotionally healthy discipleship. It's the image of an iceberg. And in an iceberg, 10% of it is actually on the surface. Isn't that extraordinary? Look at this picture of a massive iceberg. And on the surface, we look at this iceberg and it looks enormous. And yet, at the bottom of the iceberg, there's 90% that's below the surface that we don't even see. And isn't it true that as New Yorkers, this is often how we experience each other? Like only 10% is seen one of the things that I love about kind of the moment in the service of doing what we're grateful for and what we're sorry about is that it gives us at least a little bit of a clue into what more of us are going through. Instead of simply being a crowd of people, we actually get to experience the power of community. I believe you mentioned community earlier. The power of being known by one another. But isn't it true that most New Yorkers, though, don't have the experience of letting people into the other 90%? Instead, we walk around with our smiles like we've got it all together, like we've 
like we've made it, like you don't need to know any of my business. And what we do is we just give this 10%, and yet there's this 90% of some of our sorrows, some of our addictions, some of our longings, some of our hopes, some of our grief. You know what's so extraordinary is that the God of the universe, like we said, the God, God is omniscient. He knows all things. The God of the universe do you realize he actually sees everything? He sees the 10% and the 90%. He sees everything. And even in the midst of him knowing everything, there are parts of us that might be a little bit ashamed of that. Actually, God, I wish you didn't know everything. And in fact, I feel more guilty now that you just mentioned that. There's a part of me that says, you know what, God, I actually wish you didn't know all that stuff. And here's what God says. He says, I see all of that like Jesus does. And he's, he's looking. He's pursuing you. He knows everything and he's pursuing you. Like a father looking for a long lost son or daughter. He's running, he's chasing, he's looking, he's longing, he's hoping, he's praying for you. That you might know the love of God. There's this passage in the book of Acts, and what's interesting is in the book of Acts, Paul is actually preaching to a group of people who are worshiping an unknown God, and they've erected a... Uh, like an idol inscribed to an unknown God. And as Paul is preaching, he preaches and he begins to, to, to share. And this is what he shares about who God is. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands as if he needed anything. See, so Paul is basically beginning to tell people who have been searching for who God is. He's basically saying, listen, I want to tell you who this God is. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If you want to know whether God is pursuing you, just start to notice your own breathing. Your very breath. Do you realize God knows? It's evidence of his knowing you and knowing all things and giving you life. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, of all the places you and I could be today, there's so many other places we could be. We could be in the Bronx, be in Manhattan, be in Queens, be in Staten Island. Actually, no one would come from Staten Island. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> All these ways, we could be at the park. Somehow, for whatever reason, today, right now, God appointed you and me to be here at Next Step Community Church. And why did he do that? Why did God bring you here today of all the places you could be? Why here? Look at what it says. God did this so that you 
would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Isn't this beautiful? What if, what if today at Next Step Community Church, the reason why God had me, this Korean American kid who grew up in Los Angeles, feeling like I was unlovable and not good enough, to somehow end up in New York City, moved here in 2001, right before 9-11, so that about eight to 10 years later, I could actually meet this Puerto Rican guy who grew up in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, named Edwin Colon. Somehow that we would somehow meet each other, become really good friends, one of my best friends in the city. We'd share meals over at Yayo's, <laughs> as well as other spots as well as hang out and get to know each other's families and be able to journey one together with one another. And of all the Sundays that somehow he would invite me to be part of Next Step Community Church to come on this Sunday, July 17th, 2022, like to start talking about a Jewish man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. Like, this is unbelievable. Somehow today I'd be standing on this stage why? So that you would know God is pursuing you. So that you would know that God hasn't given up on you. So that you might know that even when you might feel forgotten by God, when you might feel like you're in the shadows, when you feel like maybe God doesn't understand you or God doesn't want to get to know you, that today, today's the reminder that God has been chasing you, has been pursuing you, has been looking for you, and he loves you. And of course, the story of Jesus is one in which Jesus would come to give his life away. He would die on a cross, but resurrect from the grave to show you just how committed he is to you to showing you that no matter how much you might run, no matter how much you might hide, no matter how much you might forget who this God is, that God is a God of loving pursuit who's always been chasing after you and after me. This God is for you and not against you. God who, wants to, who loves you just as you are but loves you so that you don't stay that way.